Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. We are continuing on uh, in our look in Esther. Uh, I've named it Saving a Nation. Last week we learned about King Xerxes and how he had deposed his wife, Queen Vashti, for reviewing, or for reviewing, not reviewing, for refusing to come out and dance for his drunken buddies. She's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to show off my body. I don't want to do those things. And uh, he got kind of ticked off. And so in a bit of an overreaction to the situation, uh, he has her deposed and says, what can we do about this? I can't believe she won't do what I'm telling her to do. And so the law people say, well, we cannot make her queen. And then we need to make sure everybody in the kingdom knows, everybody in the entire empire know that the husbands are in charge of your household and you ladies better take a backseat to everything they say and everything they do. And so that went out and that was that's how it worked. So with that as kind of the background of what's going on, we come to chapter 2 today. And well, what do you know? Xerxes is missing Vashti. He's, he's kind of sad. He's like, man, I, I, maybe I spoke too soon and shouldn't have gotten rid of her. So if you have your Bibles, look at Esther chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus, Ahas, Ahasuerus sorry, uh, had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of the kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Hegai, uh, the uh, eunuch who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. So a little bit on the timing here, just to give you a heads up. This is lining up pretty good with history. Um, Remember, last week we discussed Xerxes had a party, and the main reason for the party was to get all the the generals and the heads of provinces and everything together to talk about going to war. And uh, they decided to do that, and they actually do go to a war. Uh, They do go to war against the Greeks. This is around, uh, I think, 584, 583 B.C., or maybe 484, 483 B.C., uh, so they go to war, and he goes out and he fights, and while well, he loses, it's recorded in history, he loses, and he loses pretty bad. So as he's coming back, he's got no one to come home to, right? Because he deposed Queen Vashti, and he's like, I don't have a woman at home for me as I come home. This is terrible. And so he's sitting there, and he's all sad, and he can't believe this has happened. And, and so what do, what do his yes men do? Let's make you feel better, and let's just grab every woman in the, in the empire that's available, and let's have our own little show. Who wants to be the next queen of Persia? <laughs> kind of like American Idol, except Persia. And uh, so they're going to come, and they're going to gather all these women and do this. And so they kind of, once again, they kind of overreact to the situation and come up with this, 
this honestly terrible plan as far as we're concerned today and uh, decided to start it. Now, why would this be an overreaction? Well, the Persians actually have this all set up. What was what would what was to happen if if the queen was lost for whatever reason, whether she died young or you have a crazy king like Xerxes that's like, I don't want her anymore. And what they had was they had seven families. And these seven families produced children, and, and the women of those, those families were, were kind of groomed to be the queen in case they needed someone to replace them. Or, you know, you get a new king, and so we're going to have this. So they actually already had something set up. But Xerxes, he, he marches to the beat of his own drum and says, that sounds like a great idea. Let's have hundreds of virgins come and impress me, and then I'll pick one of them. That sounds good. That's that's exactly what a prideful person would want to do. And so that's what he does. So it is decided. Um, and and that's that's what's that's what's going to happen. Last week, uh, we saw how the door was open for Esther, and now we see the opportunity to, for her to walk through it with this decree of all the virgins to come uh, to the capital for this. Who wants to be the next queen of Persia? Look at verse five with me. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, uh, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, uh, carried away with uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, carried away. Verse 7, he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, uh, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, uh, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, uh, who had charge of the women. Uh, verse 9, And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women uh, from the king's palace, and, adv- uh, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So finally we come to our two main characters in the book, Mordecai and Esther. First we're introduced to Mordecai. He is from the tribe of Benjamin, and if his names of his ancestors sound familiar, well, that's because Kish is the father of King Saul, the first king of Israel. Uh, And Shimei is another of Saul's relatives who spoke against King David and threw rocks at King David during the Absalom debacle, if you guys can remember that story. Uh, But but they're all related in that way. Jair is actually probably the name of Mordecai's actual father. So the the writer of this story is showing you the ancestry for a reason. Listen, this, this Mordecai isn't just some bum off the street that 
we want to write about. He kind of has some, you know, somewhat of royal blood, you know, running through his veins uh, based on what was going on with King Saul and those kinds of things. So, so that's where you, that's, that's where it was. Now, it sounds as though Mordecai was with the group of exiles when the temple was destroyed in 587 BC. However, that's probably not the case. It's probably one of those things where they're writing about, you know, his family was taken at the time. And because we're talking about him, we'll automatically put that pronoun in there that he was taken. Because the issue that you have there is if, you know, if it's 481, 480 BC right now, if he was one day old, when Nebuchadnezzar came and took everybody, he'd be like 105 years old right now, 106, 107 years old. There's a lot that's about to happen in this story that, I mean, we've got some folks in our congregation that are doing pretty well in, in, in the veteran of the faith that they are, you know, as I don't want to call people old. So, but, but, you know, when they have as as much experience as they do, they're still doing pretty good, but it's still, I mean, it's kind of pushing it 105 years old and doing half the stuff that he's doing. So chances are what it's really meaning is, listen, the family was taken at the time of Nebuchadnezzar, very possible that Jair, his father was, was literally one of those folks. And then Mordecai was actually born, uh, in, in the, in, the area of Babylon uh, at the time of, of the exiles. So after that, we are then introduced to his orphaned cousin, Esther, whom he took in as his own daughter, which was kind of a normal thing to do, um, especially based on Jewish law and really the custom of those times. You know, if, if you know, parents are dead and she has no brothers, I mean, she is literally just just on her own, some male in the family would, would take her in and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise you. So so there's definitely a, a, a difference in age there. I, I wouldn't say, though, like, like I said, I doubt he's 105 years old. But, you know, he could be in his 40s or his 50s, and Esther could be as young as 20 or, or maybe even younger than that. But she's, she's, under, she's under his care. Now, that's all set up. We're good to go here. We got Mordecai, his orphan cousin Esther, and this decree happens, and, and they gather all, all the women together, and Esther is one of them. Now, we discussed last week that one of the things uh, that made it difficult for Esther to be actually placed in the Bible, what's known as, you know, made, made, made canon, um, was the fact that the name of God is not mentioned anywhere in the book in the original Hebrew. There's, there's, there's no word for God. There's no there's 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 nothing there there's no pronouns nothing about god in there so it kind of made it difficult well our names here mordecai and esther didn't make the job any easier also <laughs> esther uh is an english version of the persian name Ishtar. Now, if Ishtar sounds familiar, maybe you're like me and your social media is flooded during the time of Easter with how terrible the name Easter is because Easter is just another name for Ishtar and Ishtar is a Persian fertility goddess. So that's kind of a bummer. So when they're putting this together and saying, should we put Esther into the Bible? I don't know. She's named after a fertility goddess. I mean, really, should we do this? And then Mordecai, it doesn't get any better. Mordecai actually is not a name. It's, it's actually not a name at all. It's, I mean, they, they've tried to make it a name, but it really isn't a name. It's, it's a name now. But at the time of this story, Mordecai was just the best way the Hebrews could pronounce the Persian name Marduka. Now, you might think, what that doesn't make any sense. How can they not pronounce something? Well, 
you, you can talk to various people with various dialects, with various accents, you know, talk with uh, uh, Joy, talk with Paulina. They can say certain things that I can't. I, I can't roll my R's. Most Italians and European people are really good at I can't do that stuff. I'm like, what in the world? Rolling an R. I sound like a machine. That's about all I can do. Um, you know, and, and, you know, within the Hispanic community, uh, what is it? They don't pronounce B or V. V. They don't pronounce V. When it, when it, when it's a V, it comes out as a B sound because it's hard to pronounce it. That's what we've got with Mordecai. Mordecai is just a pronunciation of the name Marduka in 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 the Persian world. Well, here's the problem: Marduka, the base of Marduka, is the name Marduk, which is the patron god of the Babylonians. <laughs> so we've got two people in this story that that in in the story that doesn't mention God at all, named after two idols, named after two non gods, technically. And, and so it was just like you got to be kidding me, guys. Why are we putting this in here? But we also talked about what? The presence of God is seen throughout this story. And right here within these verses we just read, we saw quite a few things in which we see God's presence very strong. First of all, let's look at Esther's name. Not her Persian name, her actual Hebrew name. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah, and it means myrtle. Anybody know what a myrtle tree is? Anybody ever seen one? I had to go look it up on Google. It's a very pretty tree. It's a flowering tree. It's got some green leaves and these flowers that come out of it. It's kind of similar to this, uh, the tree for Iola there. I don't actually know what that tree is for Iola. Is it a crab apple or something? I don't know. Some of those red berries and nice flowers, which should hopefully be showing up within the next couple weeks here. But anyways, it's a very lovely tree. It's, it's, it's a beautiful tree. And the myrtle uh, is, is only mentioned in the Bible three times. Three times is the word myrtle actually found in the Bible. All the references are in the Old Testament, but the imagery of each mention is God bringing forth the myrtle amongst the thorns and the briars of this world. It's usually coming out, and it's like something's going on crazy. Like in the book of Zechariah, Jesus is, well, God is walking through the myrtle, the myrtle trees, and you've got this backdrop of a busted down nation, a messed up world, but those myrtles are there that God has, 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 has brought forth. It's mentioned in Isaiah, same kind of thing. And I think the other mention is in Amos, but I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's it, these mentionings are God bringing forth this beautiful flowering tree amongst all the briars and the thorns within this world. And so as you look at that and you see her name is Hadassah, which means myrtle, for those of you who know the story, you're probably like, ah, well, that makes some sense. That, that makes some sense. For those of you that don't know the story, I'm not going to give it away who this, this thorn or this, this briar might be. Uh, you'll, you'll get it as we continue on. So, so we've got Esther's name there. Uh, that may seem like enough for you. You might be like, oh, that's perfectly fine. I can see God's presence there. But he shows us so much more. Uh, how about how quickly Esther rose within the ranks of the other women? They bring all the women in. Esther's one of them. And she just shoots right up to the top. Uh, Higai is like, man, this, 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 lady, this lady is something. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of it is based on her beauty. I mean, the Bible was very clear. Listen, she's a beautiful woman. She was lovely to look at. And yes, God did create uh, her beauty. God made her beautiful. However, more importantly, we know that God uses the foolish things of this world, uh, like judging the character of a person based on looks, <laughs> to confound the wise. 
And so when these Persians get Esther and she gets into this little contest here, they are getting so much more than a pretty face and a shapely body. They're getting someone with the favor of the Lord on them. And listen, friends, when the favor of the Lord is on a person, these are the things that happen. They move up those ranks. They walk through those open doors. Those doors are open, and they walk through it. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it takes a long time. It's not as quickly as it happens like here in, in, in the book of Esther. You know, let's bring in Esther. My goodness, she is amazing and wonderful. And with, within a very short time, all of that is happening. Sometimes we have to wait. But listen, friends, when the favor of the Lord is on us, the only one that can stop us is God himself. Because he's the one that's put that favor on us. He's the one that has those plans. He's the one that has that design and has said, look, look, listen, I've put you here for this reason. I won't give away the, the popular verse that, that's, that's in this book soon. But, but the whole idea of I've established this and nothing's going to come against you. Nothing will be able to take you down because I have made this plan. I have designed this and I have made this happen. So we see this with Esther. She moves up very quickly within these, within these ranks. And nothing apparently is going to stop her except God if, that, if he so chooses. So one last instance in this section of verses concerning God's presence. And that is the fact that Mordecai instructs Esther to not share her heritage. Don't tell him you're a Jew is pretty much what he tells her. And Esther's like, okay, sounds good. I won't, I won't tell him I'm Jewish. That's perfectly fine. This is kind of weird. It, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense. First of all, uh, Xerxes and his men put no stipulations concerning ethnicity, culture, religion, nothing like that. They didn't say, okay, gather everybody except Jews. We don't want any Jewish women in here, okay? That's, we're not going to do this. That's, that's, that's not how this is going to happen. And so they, they didn't put that stipulation on there. So, so it's kind of like, well, Mordecai, why would you do that? On top of that, the Jews are not being persecuted. Remember, we had Cyrus who was like, hey, Jewish folks, why don't you head back to Jerusalem and build your temple? Have a good time while you're doing that. And then when they get kind of stopped and things kind of get messed up, they have to come back to Darius a few years later. And Darius finds Cyrus's decree and says, hey, listen, why don't you go ahead, go back. You're allowed to build this. You're allowed to do this. And so they do that and they complete the building of the temple uh, during the reign of Darius. And so far, though we talked about last week that Xerxes does not like religion, he looks at it as an opportunity for people to rebel. Up to this point, he's done nothing against the Jews. He's not been like, you know, you Jewish people are, are kind of ticking me off and we should take you up. That's not happening. So it kind of doesn't make sense. So it's like, what in the world is going on here? Why would Mordecai say this? And, and the, best, the best answer I've got would be kind of a modern one. And we've probably used this before and maybe you've sensed it in your own life. But Mordecai just had a check in his spirit. Just had a check in his spirit. And probably just said, listen, Esther, I don't really know exactly why I'm going to tell you to do this, but don't let them know you're Jewish. Just, just keep that quiet. Just move on with your life. Don't, you know, don't blab it around. Hey, look at me, I'm Jewish. It, it's a lot easier for, back in the day, it was a lot easier for women to do that than it was for men. But uh, that's, that's what happened. And so he says, why don't, you, why don't you keep that quiet? Now, he may not have known it at the time, and I don't want to give too much of the story away right now, but at some point, the judgment of someone is going to be based on the fact that this Esther is not Ishtar, the Persian, 
but Hadassah the Jew. And it's going to be a big deal once we, once we get to that point in the story. So God is, is setting this up. He's making this happen. And we see Mordecai with, his, with, this, with this check in his spirit. So we've got Esther's name. We've got, um, uh, we, got, we got to see how quickly she rose in the ranks. And then we've got Mordecai saying, hey, why don't you keep your heritage uh, quiet from, from everybody for now and let's, let's see what happens. So all of these things, we're seeing the presence of God within this story. Now, as we look at this and, and we hear about what's going on here in Persia. Some will preach that this is a horrific situation in which girls were being torn from their families. You got to come and you have to you have to be in front of the king and you have to do this. And if you don't, you know we're going to slaughter you and those kinds. Of, none of that was is in the Bible. Uh, the truth of it is, this is kind of more like the lottery. <laughs> it's more like most of them actually wanted to be a part of this. If if I get chosen as queen, oh man. My life and the life of my family is going to change like that. So it's, it's, like I said, it's more like a lottery. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of them may not have wanted to do this. I don't want to do this. I kind of want to stay at home with the family and, you know, marry a, a fellow farmer or whatever my dad did. And, and that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do. But, but a good chunk of these women were probably like, this could really change our lives. So we're going to do this. And, and so they would come in. And they, they would do that. Esther, we really don't get anything from Esther that says, I really don't want to do this. This is horrible and horrific. She just kind of quietly obeys what Mordecai is leading her to do. Listen, why don't you, you know, make this happen. You're going you're gonna to be with them. Um, granted, it does say, you know, they, they took them from this citadel and everything. And, and they may not have gotten a whole lot of choice. But at the same time, like I said, this was going to change a lot of people's lives real, real quick, or at least one person's life really quickly. So, so this is going to change, but, but it is gambling at its finest. And the stakes are pretty high, as we can see in verse 12, as they kind of lay out the rules for how this who wants to be the queen of, next queen of Persia works. Look at verse 12 with me. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning she would return uh, to the second harem in custody of Shazgaz, uh, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. So in short, this is how it was. They gathered them all together. First, Higai and, and a couple other eunuchs kind of grid them in there, and, and they start to, you know, beautify them and make them look good. It, it, it does take a, quite a long time. I mean, this is not during the day of, of indoor plumbing. They're not taking showers on a regular basis. And so to really get rid of the grime and the stink and everything, they do this, this very long beautification process. And so it, it, it takes almost a year, and, and so they take them, and and they're like, okay, let's do this. All right, you're all beautiful and spiffed up. Off to King Xerxes you go. Remember, Ahasuerus, Xerxes is the same person. Xerxes is his Greek name. It's easier for me to say, so that's why I say it when I'm preaching, but I read it as Ahasuerus in the Word of God. Anyway, so 
They take them and they put them uh, in with King, uh, with King Xerxes, and if he likes them, he will call them back, and then they get to be queen. Here's the problem. If he does not like them, they go back to the harem, and guess how they live? As a widow. They never see the king again. If they're not chosen, it's done. And they've been with the king. They're no longer virgins anymore. And so then he's like, well, you're kind of stuck because nobody wants to marry a person that's not a virgin back in those days. And so that's, that's how it was. Like I said, this was a gamble, and it was a high-state gamble. You know, your life could change in an instant. Your family's life could change in an instant. Or your family's life could go right back to normal just with one less daughter. And so they would stay in that harem for the rest of their lives. They would be provided for, but it wouldn't be a provision like the queen or anything. It would just be like, okay, here's some food for you to eat, and then you can do some work around. Uh, but you're never going to see the king again. This isn't how that works, and, and that's, that's, that's all it's going to be. So that's how it was set up. Those were the rules, and this is how they do it. So it comes to this time to where these things are happening. I, I wonder who's going to win this contest. Anyways, okay, look at verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Higai, the king's eunuch, who had charged of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is in the month of Tibeth in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Who won? Ooh, of course it was Esther. That's the name of the book. Esther wins. It's all good. They have a great big party. They celebrate. My goodness, King Xerxes even says, hey, we're going to have a day with no taxes. How does that sound, guys? I am so happy and excited that, uh, that this happened. And so that's where it's at. Everything is all set. She is, she is now the, the new queen, and our story is starting to, to, to take shape, and things are, are about to happen. Now, before we move on to the last part of this chapter here, uh, there's one side note I want you to see, again, concerning the presence of God in this book. Really quickly, if you can try to remember this, in what reigning year did this take place? It was the 10th month of which year of his reign? The seventh year, Right. Go back earlier to when Esther was brought into Higai and, and was taken care of. He gives her seven, he gives her seven other women, right? How many women? Seven women to help her. Let's go back to chapter one. Chapter one, you had the first great big feast that Xerxes holds. It's 180 days long, makes a lot of sense because he's trying to convince a lot of people that they want to go to war. But then he has a second feast. How long was that second feast? Seven days, right? And what day, on what day did he have the eunuchs go to get Queen Vashti to go and dance in front of them? The seventh day. And then how many eunuchs did he send to go get Vashti? Seven eunuchs. And then last and certainly not least, he goes before the lawmen and says, hey, what should we do about this Queen Vashti? How do we get rid of her? How many lawmen did he have? Seven. 
Listen, friends, this is not a coincidence, okay? This is one of those numbers within the Bible, 3, 7, 12, 40, and pretty much most of their multiples are important numbers in the Bible. Now, the Hebrew writer isn't just writing this for the heck of it and just saying, hey, isn't this fun? No, the Lord is guiding this person, whoever it is that wrote this book, and he's putting down the sevens because God is saying, listen, I am here. I am present in this situation. On top of all the other things that we saw, this nifty thing with all the sevens also means something, also means something big. So so we've got all this stuff all set up, and we get one last section uh, of, of, of verses. Um, Sorry, I looked at the wrong note and it threw me off. Um, we get to the, the last section of the story, and listen, this has a lot, a lot of foreshadowing. I know I've told you before in the past, I'm a terrible student of literature. I'm horrible at it. I'm no good at it. When the teachers would ask me, what's the symbolism of this? I have no clue. What is this foreshadowing? I have no idea. I didn't read the end of the book like I normally would, so I have no clue what's going to happen. So just to give you all a heads up, this is foreshadowing. We're going to see some things happen here that are going to happen later in the book. But Esther chapter 2 Verses 19 through 23, let's finish up this chapter. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Verse 21, in those days as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, uh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahaz. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now listen, all of that, we're going to see it all again. It's just going to be different people in different situations. It's all foreshadowing things to come. However, it's, it's a little bit different. So with Mordecai, we can see he's gone up in the rank probably because he's, he's related to Queen Esther. And uh, the fact that he's sitting in the king's gate means that, that he's kind of moved up all. So this is, you know, the second time the virgins come. This is a, a period of, I think, anywhere from 9 to 12 months that, that the second time that, that this would happen kind of thing. And so he's He's kind of moved up the ranks. He hears about this situation between Big Thin and Teresh and, and tells queen, the queen about it and says, hey, you might want to tell the king he's, he's going to lose his life. And so they go ahead and they, they investigate and they find out that that was the case. And so they kill them. Now, the weird thing is, is that in most English versions of the Bible, they say that they were hanged on the gallows. I, I looked all over. I cannot figure out why they translated it this way, because the Persians did not execute people like that. Really what the Persians usually did was they executed people and then they took their bodies and threw them up on great big uh, wooden stakes, impaling their bodies so that people would see as an example, oh, I shouldn't do that. I probably shouldn't threaten the king because look at Big Thin and Teresh. They're hanging on, the, on, a, on a post there. Now, gallows is literally translated tree. So I, I'm not too sure why it got all mixed up in the English and why we decided to change that. I have no idea who was in charge of that. But 
really what happened here is is what they typically did in Persia. We found out you did something illegal that's worthy of death. We're going to execute you and then throw your body up on that wood stake to be impaled. So that's how it's going to work. Again, all of these things, foreshadowing of what's going to be happening uh, in this book, specifically with Mordecai, again, specifically with Esther, recording it all and those kinds of things. These are all big things. So we want to remember all of this stuff as we continue on in this book. So with all that said, we're going we're gonna to stop there today. And I want to close uh, by challenging us in really in how we follow God. Uh, concerning the lack of the name of God in this book, commentator David Guzik writes this, The book of Esther doesn't have the name of God because it shows how God works behind the scenes. God is always active in the book of Esther, even though it is in the background. And what I want you guys to think about is your own personal lives. How often do we push away the background work of God in our lives for whatever reason? Maybe we lack the faith to take the unusual steps forward as Mordecai did with Esther. There doesn't seem to be any greed present within Mordecai and Esther to think about putting her in this. I want to get rich, so... Quick, Esther, be, be put into this contest of versions. Um, it, 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 even, uh, it even seems a little bit unsavory. However, Mordecai seemed to feel the presence of God in the situation, and so he responds to that, and, and all of these kinds of things happen, and they move forward. How often do we ignore the checks in our spirit as opposed to following them as Mordecai did? It didn't make a lot of sense for Mordecai to instruct Esther in her secret but he still did it, and Esther followed the instruction. We still don't technically know the reason why. We're going to see it in a little bit in a few weeks here. But, but at this point in the story, we don't know what's going on. And how often are we more concerned about our comfort, our pleasures, our selfish desires, our popularity, our prestige, our legacy, than we are about the slow, unknown to the public working of God in our lives? How often do we want to move forward as fast as we can and just do what we think we, we want? We, we want to show this. We want to be this person. We want to be this awesome. While God is slowly working in the background, giving you the answers and showing you the way, and you may not understand it all right now, but at some point, it's all going to happen. It's all going to come together because God has that, has that in his hands and he knows what he's doing. Listen, friends, when we push away the behind the scenes work of God, we are pushing away the opportunity for God to use us in big ways, maybe even ways, like with Esther, to save a nation. I have no idea what that is for a lot of you guys. I have no clue what the Lord may be working in you. Some of the things that you might be thinking, this is odd, this doesn't seem normal. It's not that it's wrong, but it doesn't seem normal. So Lord, what what do you want to do here? What, what, what is going on to faithfully follow him and obey him, even in situations that it doesn't exactly make a lot of sense? God has a plan for that. God has a design for that. 
And God is going to use that. We just have to stick with him and continue to obey and to continue to follow that path that is in front of us and see what happens. Now, a lot of times what will happen is along the way, he's going to give you, you know, those, those times of, yeah, that's exactly, ah, that's why God did that. That's why God moved in my life. We saw it with Esther uh, a little bit here. You know, we did this kind of thing and we, we entered this thing because I'm, I'm, I'm now going to be queen. But we're going to see the ultimate fulfillment of her being queen in a little bit. And like I said, it's going to save uh, the entire Jewish nation. Uh, that myrtle is going to come out from the briars and the thorns and is going to do a powerful thing for God. And we each have that opportunity if we would just be patient and say, Lord, what are you doing behind the scenes? I don't want to push it away. I don't want to ignore those checks in my spirit. I want to follow you with all my heart, Lord, because I know you have a plan for me. I know you have a design for me. So why don't you stand with me today as as we close this up in prayer. And just think about what the Lord is doing in your life and the things that he's leading you to and the things that he's got you in. And maybe for some of you, it's, it's frustrating and it's difficult, but, but you know you're in obedience to God. And so you're going to keep following him and see what he does. I'm, I'm, just pray today that you would, you would stay strong, that you would, you would continue to run the race to win the prize. And maybe for some of you, you know, you're pushing things away. I just want this, this, and this, uh, and I, I think God would be happy with me having those things. Why don't you be secure in that knowledge and say, Lord, what is it that you really want from me? What do you want me to actually do? And follow those checks in the spirit. Follow what the Lord is guiding you in.